John has selected some scripture readings to share with you before the message. The first is from the Old Testament, the wisdom of Solomon from the book of Proverbs, very short passage, just one verse, Proverbs 17, verse 22, and uh, the readings today will be from the New International Version. Solomon says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And then from the book of Genesis, the 17th chapter, verses one through eight. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And then verses 15 through 17 of Genesis chapter 17. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her that, so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Stay tuned. <laughs> Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, it is with a joy to once again have uh, the Reverend Dr. John Minahan with us. John was here uh, last uh, Labor Day weekend in uh, 2021. I went and preached at his church Last November, prior to running the half marathon, the plans are for us to run again on the first Sunday of November. I'm going to preach at John's Church. I know for a fact that I'm going to preach on that first Sunday of November at John's Church, Christ Press. The half marathon is a little bit in doubt. Uh, we have run into some injuries, John, specifically his hamstring. I've just been lazy and haven't trained. <laughs> so, <laughs> So we've got two months to get our act together. So uh, we'll see what God has in store. But John, great to have you here at Chestnut Level Presbyterian Church. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, John. And uh, not afraid to say that uh, John has been my dear friend. I love him like a brother. And uh, 
we, we will get that half marathon uh, run. The, the half marathon of Marshall, anybody ever see the movie We Are Marshall? Anybody ever see the movie? That describes the town in which we live, Huntington, West Virginia. There's a special relationship between the university and the town because of that tragic plane crash that took the lives of the football team in 1970. But they have the half marathon and marathon every year. We do the half. Uh, because it starts at 7 a.m. and presumably you can be done in time to get home and shower and get ready for church at 10.30. If John doesn't train though, that's a little in doubt. So <laughs> I don't want to brag, but last year I stopped three times to use the restroom and still caught up to him. So <laughs> anyway. um, congratulations to John and Lisa uh, again. Bible says, he who finds a wife finds what is good. And um, we, we rejoice in that. Also, to the couple who's celebrating their 69th anniversary, who is, where are they? Right here. Can we? I just want to share a word of thanks. Uh, today's the fourth, so three days ago, my wife, Faith, and I celebrated our 38th anniversary. And she, have been, she has been the face of God to me, and I love her more than life itself. Um, so thank you to everyone. John asked me to share with you before I start today a little update. First of all, I've been back here since you've completed your renovations and it's beautiful. Uh, just gorgeous. You've done a wonderful job. And I don't know if Faith has ever been here before, but, but um, we love your Christian Life Center too. In fact, I always thought if we could just pick that up and move that to Huntington, that could be our church. But we have been in the search for a church building for uh, six years now. We we formed a new congregation. I've been in Huntington for uh, over 11 years now. We formed a new congregation six years ago and been renting a Jewish temple. Um, looks just like a church. In fact, the stained glass window has like Moses, Elijah, um, which of course people we claim from the Old Testament. But I tell people it could be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You wouldn't know, right? It just, they, they, they look like ancient people. Um, but, um, but there's a, but we've been looking and saving and doing things in a really amazing story. And I'll try to make it quick, but, um, last June, so over a year ago, uh, one of our members, uh, asked a pastor of a local church to lunch because there was a local Baptist church. We weren't sure what was going on with the church. It seemed to be a small congregation. And, um, he had something in common with the pastor. So he asked him to lunch and said, you know, would you guys ever be interested in selling your building? And he said, we might be. And so that started a conversation, and uh, I got to know the pastor, and the now current pastor, the first one retired, and I liked them immediately. And so we started seeing that, boy, we really have a lot of uh, mutual affection for one another. You know, uh, I don't care if it's Baptist, you know, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, if Jesus is the center, it's faithful, amen, if Jesus is the center. So we started talking to them and said, you know, um, we'd be interested in this church if you would be interested in maybe selling it, maybe work out an arrangement where you could continue worshiping here. But the big thing, of course, is always, you know, what do they want for the building? And so uh, one of our elders uh, who's been at the forefront of this, I couldn't be there that night. I, I had to coach a game. Uh, I couldn't be there that night, but they were going to talk about the finances. And we had set a limit in our mind that would include all the money we saved, which was substantial over the six years. We have faithful givers, um, possibly a capital campaign to raise more money and then a mortgage. We calculated what we could afford on that. And, but so we started 
a little bit lower, you know, and, and our, our elder suggested a term, uh, a figure, and then they proverbial slid the piece of paper, a piece of paper back across the table, and they said, what about this? The figure they slid back across to us was $300,000 less than what we offered them. Who does that? And they said, we just want this to be a church. And so either this week, my wife is actually the title agent who'll do the closing. Either this week or early next week, we will pay all cash for that church. And um, we'll start using it for Bible study. We probably won't move in right away. We want to do some things like you've done here. John's got to see the church, and um, it's, on, it's in a good part of town, and it's a place where uh, we feel can be a blessing. So uh, I've, I've asked John a lot of questions about, tell me about your renovations, your capital campaign, how you did those things. And so uh, blessings to you and, and all you've accomplished by God's grace. So with that, thank you. It's good to be here again. I feel uh, very much at home here. I, I preach here several times, just like John has preached at Christ President Huntington. Uh, folks know him. I just say John, my friend. They go, yeah, we all know who he is. In fact, I received a text yesterday from uh, one of the people in the church uh, saying, hope you've had a great day. So people knew I was here to do the wedding and they were thinking about you all. Um, but today I want to talk about something we don't talk about. You can see the title of the sermon. Go ahead and laugh. It's okay. I want to talk about laughter, the theology of laughter, why it's okay to laugh and celebrate. And this was not something I had in my sermon, but one of your members told me a great story right after the eight o'clock service. So I think it's appropriate before I finish the scripture reading and start with that story. They said that they were admiring Lisa's wedding ring. And um, Lisa was telling them all about it, a very elegant ring. And Lisa, if I hope I'm getting all the facts straight, but that Lisa said, you know, it's, it's a very simple but elegant. It's she, she's a minimalist. She likes simplicity, to which that person in your 8 o'clock service said, well, that explains John then. So, <laughs> I did not make that up. That comes from one of your people. With that then, with that laughter, we're picking up in Genesis 18. We've heard the story, we've heard the word from Proverbs. Uh, we heard the story of Genesis uh, with Abram becoming Abraham and God uh, promising a son. Um, anybody know how long it was until, from the time God made that promise till the time that promise was fulfilled? How many years, anybody? Yes, 25 years. Can you imagine waiting on a promise from God for 25 years? Sometimes we can't wait 25 minutes, right? 25 years. But it says that Abraham fell to the ground in laughter. Now we're picking up in chapter 18 of Genesis. This is sometime later. Promise hasn't come yet, but Abraham is out uh, near his tent and three visitors comes. It's a theophany, an appearing of the Lord uh, in the Old Testament and, and with some angels. And God is there to reconfirm the covenant. So let me pick up in Genesis 18, verses 9 through 15, then skipping to Genesis 21. So in chapter 18, verse 9, uh, the Lord says, Where is Sarah, your wife? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, 
will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Then in verse 21, uh, chapter 21, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I've borne him a son in his old age. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your holy word, the living word, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, we pray the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. In Jesus' holy name, we pray and give thanks. Amen. Okay, so I want to ask you a question this morning. The question is, what is the funniest joke you've ever heard? Funniest joke you've ever heard. Think about that for a minute because I've got a few that I would like to share with you today. The three supposed funniest jokes in the entire world. But before I share them, I have to tell you, when I say the funniest jokes in the world, I I mean just that. You see, a few years ago, a study was done to determine the world's funniest jokes as a way of looking into the psychology of humor. And one of the things this study found, very interestingly, was that different people across the world found humor in different kinds of things. So, for example, people from Ireland and and Britain and New Zealand and Australia, those English-speaking countries, kind of those countries with that common heritage, they seem to especially enjoy puns. You know, those groaners, uh, they, they, really, uh, they really enjoy jokes that rely on wordplay, like the one about the butcher who accidentally backed into his meat grinder. You heard about that guy? He got a little behind in his work. <laughs> Groaner, I know, I know. On the other hand, on the other hand, folks from Denmark and France and, and Belgium They seem to enjoy a kind of humor that has sort of the surreal touch to it. It's like they they enjoy jokes like the uh, traveler who stopped by a farmhouse one evening and asked if he could spend the night. You know, we used to do that kind of thing. And then the farmer answered the door and he said, sure, mister, sure, we can put you up. So the man was welcomed in and he washed up for dinner. And afterwards, he came to the table and he was surprised to find the farmer, his wife and their son and a gigantic pig sitting all around the dinner table. And what's more, the pig had three medals around his neck and one wooden leg. Well, try as he might, the traveler just couldn't help staring at the pig, right? So he finally asked the farmer, would you mind telling me about the medals hanging around your pig's neck? Oh, sure, said the farmer. That's really an incredible story. 
You see, little Timmy here was uh, swimming in the lake one day, and, and he got a cramp, and he started to drown. So, and the pig heard his cries for help, and he busted out of his pen. He ran into the lake. He dove in, and he saved our son's life. And so we gave him a medal in appreciation. That's really amazing, the traveling man said. Well, that's not the half of it, the farmer replied. A few months ago, our house caught fire in the middle of the night while we were all sleeping. And the pig saw the flames and he busted out of his pen once again. He ran into the house, woke us all up and saved all our lives. And to show our gratitude, we gave him another medal. Incredible, said the traveler. But what about the third medal? Oh, well, that came a few weeks ago, the farmer said. My wife was attacked by a burglar. The pig heard her cries. He busted out of his pen again. He chased the thief out of the house. He, he caught him. He sat on him until the police arrived. So we gave him the medal for that too. Well, that's really something, the traveling man said. That's something. But I don't understand. Why does he have a wooden leg? And the farmer said, well, mister, you got a pig that special. You don't want to eat him all at once. <laughs> That's the French for you, okay? Now, we Americans, we Americans, we tend to enjoy humor that kind of pokes fun at other people. Uh, it's like the man who got home one Saturday evening, much, much later than usual from his weekly golf game, and he walks in the door, and he is immediately confronted by his very angry, very suspicious wife. She puts her hands on her hips and she says, do you mean to tell me that you've been golfing this whole time? She demanded, you should have been home hours ago. Now, honey, honey, let me explain, the man says. You see, I was golfing with Harry, just like I always do every week, and, and everything was going fine. Then about halfway through, Harry suddenly clutches his chest and he drops over dead at the 10th tee. Oh, that's awful, the man's wife exclaims. You're telling me, he said, for the whole back nine, it was hit the ball, drag Harry, hit the ball, drag Harry. <laughs> That's our kind of humor. <laughs> you know, surprisingly, this study uh, concluded that Germans, people we tend to think of as very serious-minded folks, Germans found everything funny. They had no preference. Uh, the study also collected data on the lengths of jokes, the funniest ones being about 103 words long. Uh, many jokes contain references to animals. Any idea which animal they consider the funniest? No, ducks. They consider ducks the funniest in jokes. And, and, the, and the people found jokes funniest at 6.03 p.m. on October 7th. Now, why October 7th at 6.03? No, nobody knows. That's just what they found. So, what did they determine to be the three funniest jokes in the world? And again, these, this is actually research scientifically. Here they are in descending order. Number three. Number three funniest joke in the world. Woman gets on a bus with her baby. And the bus driver says to her, he says, lady, that is the ugliest baby I have ever seen in my entire life. Well, the woman stomps to the rear of the bus. She sits down. She is fuming. I mean, she's absolutely furious. So she says to the man next to her, she said, that driver just insulted me. And the man replies, well, you just go up there. You go up there right now and you tell him off. Go ahead on up. I'll hold your monkey for you. <laughs> I like that one. That's number three. 
Number two, number two funniest joke in the world. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were going camping. They pitched their tent and after a hearty meal, they settled down, they went to sleep. And sometime in the middle of the night, Sherlock Holmes nudges Watson awake and he says, Watson, old chap, look up into the sky and tell me what you see. Watson said, well, I see millions and millions of stars. And what does that tell you, Holmes asked. Well, Watson said, astronomically, it tells me there are millions and millions of galaxies and perhaps billions of planets. Astrologically, it tells me that Saturn is in the constellation of Leo. Theologically, it tells me that God is great and that we are small. Horologically, it tells me it's about 3 a.m. And meteorologically, it tells me that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. Why? What does it tell you, Holmes? And Holmes replied, Watson, you numbskull, it tells me somebody stole our tent. (laughs) (laughs) And the number one joke in the world is actually determined by scientific research. Number one. A couple of guys out in the woods hunting one day. Any hunters here? Any hunters? A few? A couple of guys out in the woods hunting one day, and one of them suddenly collapses. He doesn't seem to be breathing, and his eyes are glazed over, and his buddy, he goes into an absolute panic. He he pulls out a cell phone. He calls 911. He says, my friend is dead. My friend is dead. He shouts to the dispatcher. Now, calm down. Calm down, the operator says in a soothing voice. Calm down. I can help you. First, let's make sure he's dead. Well, there's a moment of silence and a gunshot is heard. The guy comes back on the phone. He says, okay, now what? (laughs) I don't write it, man. I just tell you what people thought were funny. But there's, there's a reason, there's a reason for sharing these jokes with you today and maybe a few more later. And that's because, that's because being able to laugh is important. But, but laughter is something we really never talk about in the church, right? There's a reason. You know what the nickname for Presbyterians is? Do you know what the nickname is? Frozen. The Frozen Chosen, right? You ever notice that when, whenever we pray, folks share joys and concerns, the, the concerns always far outweigh the joys? And, and I think that's because we've been conditioned to see God and the church and, and religious stuff in very serious, almost, almost somber terms. And... And, and while our relationship with God is the most serious thing in the entire universe, and it really is, of course it is, we still lose something important by not being able to celebrate and laugh a little bit to experience joy. Billy Graham once said this, he said, people go to football games today and they shout their heads off or, or they go to the circus and cheer act after act. They, they become enthusiastic and about every conceivable thing, but when it comes to spiritual matters, They think they're supposed to become somber and wear black and never have a good time or enjoy a religious event. And and it's true, isn't it? Christians sometimes treat church more like a funeral service than a celebration. And quite frankly, we need to do a little more celebrating in the church. The late Aunt Irma Bombeck once wrote this. She said, in church the other Sunday, I was intent on a small child who was turning around and smiling at everyone. He wasn't gurgling or spitting or rummaging or kicking or tearing the hymnals or going through his mother's handbag. He was just smiling. Finally, his mother jerked him about and in a stage whisper that could be heard off Broadway, she said, stop grinning, you're in church. (laughs) And with that, she gave him a belt on the hind side and as tears rolled down his cheeks, she added, that's better and returned to her prayers. 
And Irma Bombach says, I wanted to grab this child with a tear-stained face close to me and tell him about my God, the happy God, the, the smiling God, the God who had to have had a sense of humor to have created the likes of us. And I think Irma Bombach's right. God must have a sense of humor. I mean, look at the duck-billed platypus. <laughs> Let me ask you a question here. Have you really thought about it? Have you ever imagined, for example, Jesus laughing? I mean, we've all pictured Jesus preaching, right? We've all pictured him praying, teaching. We've pictured him angrily clearing those merchants out of the temple, even suffering and dying on the cross. But have you ever pictured Jesus laughing, literally busting a gut? Probably not. Rather, our image of Jesus tend to be more solemn. As the book of Isaiah says, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. And, and while that's true, it very much is true, we often overlook Jesus' playful side. And I say overlook because there's a great deal of humor in what Jesus says. We just tend to miss it. For example, when talking about judging others, do you remember Jesus paints this bizarre image of a man who's obsessed with a speck of sawdust in his brother's eye while ignoring the two-by-four sticking out of his own eye. It's, the image is ridiculous, and, and it's meant to be that. It's supposed to make us laugh at the irony of the guy's own self-unawareness and, and then consider ourselves. Or when Jesus is talking about the danger of wealth, he likens it to a rich man's attempt to get into heaven on his own merits, like that of a camel trying to squeeze through the eye of a needle. It's absurd. And we're supposed to understand the absurdity of it all and our attempts to try and save ourselves apart from the grace of God. Fact is, Jesus uses humor and satire and irony in all kinds of situations, talking about the blind leading the blind, straining out a gnat while swallowing a camel washing the outside of the cup while leaving the inside of the cup filthy. So there's a lot of humor in what Jesus says, and no doubt, Jesus laughed too. I think he laughed a lot. Now, Scripture doesn't specifically say he did. In fact, Scriptures don't mention Jesus laughing at all. And of course, we want to be faithful to Scripture, and we always want to be careful about making arguments and drawing conclusions where the Bible's silent. But the Bible doesn't mention a lot of things that Jesus did. For example, you ever think Jesus got a splinter working as a carpenter? Pro probably, right? The Bible doesn't say it, but it's probably safe to assume he did. It only makes sense. So, so we can make some assumptions, and we can draw, more importantly, on what the Bible tells us to make reasonable conclusions about what it doesn't tell us. And so what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, for example, is very important. There in Hebrews, it says, since the children, that's us, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. And that's a very important verse. It's talking about the incarnation, the Son of God coming in the flesh. He too shared in their humanity. And what that verse is telling us is that though Jesus was no less than fully God, he was no less than fully human either. He was like us in every way except for sin. He laughed. He cried. He was happy. He was sad. He slept and ate. And Jesus enjoyed a good party with the best of them. He literally shared our nature. And we know that there are some things 
that are basic to our nature as human beings, and laughter is one of them. For example, have you heard the one about the residents at the Florida nursing home who were together one day and they were discussing their various ailments? Well, my arms are so weak, I can hardly lift this cup of coffee, one said. Yes, I know what you mean, said another. My cataracts are so bad, I can't even see my coffee. Well, I can't turn my head because of the arthritis in my neck, said a third, at which several of them nodded weakly. Well, my blood pressure pills make me dizzy, another added. Well, I guess that's the price we pay for getting old, one man opined, and there was general agreement in the group, and a short moment of silence followed. Well, it's not that bad, one woman cheerfully said. Thank God we can all still drive. Right? <laughs> now, obviously, we, we laugh for lots of reasons, right? We, we laugh when someone says something funny or does something unexpected. One of my favorite comedians is a guy named Stephen Wright. I don't know if anybody ever heard of Stephen Wright. Um, he's kind of deadpan, dry, and droll humor. Uh, he's got this routine. He makes these bizarre statements. Like he said, a lot of people are afraid of heights, not me. I'm afraid of widths. You know, that's one thing he says. He also says, if I melt dry ice, can I take a bath without getting wet? I like that one. Just bizarre stuff. Bizarre. So we laugh at bizarre things, and we also laugh when people behave unusually or out of character. And we laugh when we see the irony in something, when we experience something, and that turns out to be different than what we would have expected. And probably no better example of this than Abraham and Sarah. Because today we see these three different scenes in Abraham and Sarah's life that show them laughing because what they expected turned out to be far different from what they actually experienced. So in the first scene, God appears to Abraham when he's 99 years old and he confirms his covenant with him that he made long ago. And then God promises Abraham that he and Sarah will have that son of their own through whom this covenant will continue. Only problem, of course, Abraham's an old man. And Sarah's no spring chicken either. In fact, the time has long since passed when they could ever hope of having children of their own. And here now, God was telling Abraham that he and Sarah would actually conceive and have a son well into their golden years. And you notice Abraham's reaction. The Bible says Abraham fell face down and laughed. He literally fell to the ground in worship But as he did, he chuckled to himself at the thought, becoming a father at 100. Sarah, a mother at 90? 90? The whole thing was so preposterous, Abraham laughs at the gracious absurdity of it all. In the next scene, we find Sarah laughing herself a short time later. In Genesis 18, Abraham's entertaining these three strangers. These three, it's a theophany, it's the Lord and and some angels. They They appear in human form, and they're there to confirm this promise to Abraham once again. This time, though, Sarah's eavesdropping nearby. And when she hears the Lord's promise, she literally laughs out loud. And she laughs because it's probably easier than crying. I mean, after years and years and years and decades trying to conceive and being disappointed again and again. Could she ever imagine now, now, 
decades past her childbearing years that she'd have a baby. As one man has said, Sarah knew their biological alarm clock had gone off a long time ago. They're both well past their prime. And she laughed when she thought of her husband. It had been a long time since she had shown any interest at all. In fact, she wasn't even sure if he was capable of it anymore, any more than she was. And so Sarah laughs. And the next time the scripture shows us Sarah laughing, it's an act of grace. She's laughing as she's holding a bouncing baby boy in her arms, her baby. The child's name, Isaac, which in Hebrew literally means he laughs. And you notice what Sarah says. She's not worried about caring for a newborn or chasing a toddler in her 90s. She's not worried that she'll be 107 when Isaac goes to his senior prom. Sarah says, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Well, like I said, there are a lot of reasons to laugh. And one of the biggest reasons is when we experience a sense of divine irony at work. When we experience something we never expected or never could have hoped for. And by that definition, the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead has to be the biggest punchline in all of history. When what everybody expected turned out to be completely different from what anyone would have ever imagined, anyone that is except for God, as one man said, the biggest joke in the universe is that God took the greatest act of evil in history, the crucifixion of his son, and he turned it into the greatest act of salvation, your salvation and mine which is why we can laugh now and why we can keep on laughing through all of eternity because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He took the full force of sin. He took the full force of death on Himself. He took our sin, the death that should have been ours, and He made a mockery of it by rising from the dead and turning the curse of the cross into the glory of God and the good news of our salvation. It was the greatest act of divine irony ever. So go ahead and laugh. Laugh loud, laugh hard, laugh long. Laughter is a gift from God that we don't take seriously enough. And in Jesus Christ, laughter is a form of worship and a little bit of heaven we get to experience right here now on earth. And by the way, have you heard the one about the football game in the jungle between the big animals and the, and the little animals. And the big animals were crushing the little animals, and by halftime, the coach of the little animals gathered them up in, in the locker room and made a passionate speech to try to, to try to rally his troops. Well, start of the second half, the big animals had the ball, and on the first play, the elephant takes the ball, he gets the ball handed off to him, and he stopped cold at the line of scrimmage, no gain. And on the second play, the rhino is stopped for no gain as well. And on third down, the hippo is actually thrown for a loss. Well, the defense comes off the field and they huddle around the coach and the coach is excited and he asks, who stopped the elephant? Well, I did, replied the centipede. 
Well, who stopped the rhino? The coach asked. Well, that was me too, said the centipede. Well, how about the hippo? Who threw the hippo for a five-yard loss? Well, that was me again, said the centipede. So where were you during the first half, the coach demanded. Well, the centipede said, I was having my ankles taped. So... <laughs> that one takes a little longer to get. <laughs> so go ahead and laugh. As the scripture says, a cheerful heart is good medicine. And a good laugh brings glory to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your son. We thank you, Lord, because of his sacrifice on the cross, the greatest act of divine irony ever, Lord. We can laugh, Lord, and we know that laughter and joy and praise and celebration is at the very center of the universe, Lord, because Jesus Christ is one. And so, Lord, help us with no less seriousness about our faith, but help us to be people of joy and laughter. Lord, let's put behind that nickname of the frozen chosen. And Lord, let's reflect that joy of being loved by Almighty God living the life that your son has given us, his spirit in us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.